Hello and welcome back to the One Step Paintball Podcast. I'm the host, Chris Cole. Uh, tonight, we're going to be talking with longtime player, longtime friend, uh, Ryan Powers from Oklahoma. We're going to be talking about the things you should be doing to both yourself and your gear, or with yourself and your gear, I think is a better way to put it, uh, in between playing sessions, because as players, we're not great at uh, personal maintenance uh, or equipment maintenance. So we're going to talk about that tonight. Uh, so I'm going to bring on Ryan. Ryan, say hi to everybody. Hey, everyone. How's everyone doing tonight? All right. And let's let's start hammering Ryan with the questions here. All right. Let's All right. It. What was your first playing experience? Uh, first time I ever played uh, was way back, I think, in like 2001. I had a Brass Eagle Marauder that I bought from uh, Walmart, and I went and played uh, some open play over at uh, some uh, northern Oklahoma park. Uh, I just remember the very first time playing, very first time playing, just being just hooked immediately. Um, I didn't care that, you know, maybe there are people out there that are better than me. I just, I just wanted to always be a part of it. And ever since then, it's kind of been a, uh, forgoing experience for me. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. All of us got kind of hooked the first time, no matter how good we weren't, and no matter uh, how many more times we got shot the people we shot. But uh, that first time, man, just you, you can't oh. beat it. Yeah, I, I know I didn't shoot a single person. Uh, I just remember getting shot by someone uh, very close range doing the uh, the old dead man's walk that they used to do back in the day. And oh yeah, I, yeah. you know if man, looking back on it, I was like any other kid would probably be like, this is this is absolutely horrible. You know, get out of it. And, I don't know why I stayed. Uh, it's probably because I'm uh, not as smart as the average human. <laughs> right. So a brass eagle marauder. Yeah. Wait, was that that was one of the funny looking spider clones, right? Yeah, completely made of plastic. Oh yeah, that one. Um, yeah, seventy four ninety nine. That was a lot of lot of lawns. Yeah, yeah. That probably lasted what three, four sessions? I think one. One. Wow. I think that's all. I, yeah, I think that's all I got out of it. Okay. Uh, so, who talked you into all of that? We're gonna skip around the questions because I think this kind of feeds into the next one. Uh, really, I just uh, one day, believe it or not, I was walking through the mall with my mom. I was probably like eight or nine years old, so just not quite old enough to, to play yet. And uh, Suncoast Video, and so that really kind of dates it and everything. Oh uh, yeah, I spent uh, a lot of time and money at Suncoast. Yeah. Yeah, and they had um the ESPN World Championship. Um, I can't oh. remember. I think it was like 1999. I think it was that year, and it was um, it was pretty. I was just like uh, completely enthralled with it. Just the idea that you could uh, go around uh, outside and uh, literally play uh, cops and robbers with your friends, but mm -hmm. actually like shoot your friends not with the you know these invisible guns or uh, are not guns, but rather markers and uh, or like uh, throwing you know, darts or something, you can't do that much. And, you know, I was just like completely obsessed. And so uh, I just started looking into it and uh, my mom was completely like against it. Just like the whole idea. <laughs> uh, my dad was real skeptical. Um, he, he'd never handled a firearm before. And it was like, to him, it was in his eyes, it was, it was kind of a firearm and that's how it was treated. And so uh, we had to wait until, you know, the legal age. And then um, I just, decided you know oh i don't um i think you have to bring your own gear so i just went out and bought it i didn't didn't really look too much into that part for the field i was just too too excited to just buy it and then the following day just go play skipped all the all the research steps 
Yeah, Although skip that part. 2001, yeah, you've got you've got PB Nation and some user forums, and everybody's telling you to buy really expensive stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I didn't like. I just didn't really look in much into that. I just thought like you just show up. Um, you know, kind of shows the uh, the net uh, attitude that I had towards everything back then. All right. So, what's the first tournament you played? Uh, the first tournament I played was in 2006. It was a three-man um, with my uh, with one of my very uh, a teammate that I had up until about 2014 uh, before I moved away, and uh, my best friend at the time uh, called OKC Thunderstruck. Um, heck of a name. Um, but I uh, I wore a uh, a purple flex eyes and shot a shocker with a gigantic egg hanging off of it and a steel tank and uh i looked so incredibly goofy just like with this orange t-shirt and diablo pants and i think we we ended up actually doing very well and um this three men uh pulled in i think like 20 some odd teams and we got about sixth so we went home with uh some with some barrels and some uh some cases of paint who would have thought like uh we would have actually won or anything and the people that ultimately uh did win is you know uh as they all say we beat them in prelims but we really did and that was kind of cool to to think about it's like oh well if i get better maybe i can beat them one of these days so that's kind of that was my first tournament that wasn't by chance that the ricky tournament at wild west where smart parts factory showed up in sandbag was it no 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 it was up at uh adventure zone um okay okay yep so uh down on the ridge or well down the ridge that you would have to go into that little what used to contain their uh, ravine field they filled it in and uh that's what they turned into their tournament field and uh uh sticker haven and uh you had to be real you know it was real dusty i will say i remember that Uh, extremely dusty uh it was just i think we were in a drought or something but every time you just see the wind go by you would just see all the rest turn one way and of course you know that kind of gives you an opportunity to start running so and, and for those of you listening not from oklahoma uh oklahoma red clay sticks to everything everything yeah. um and uh the things it does to the internals of paintball markers is just not good i'm pretty sure i have sold cars that that i drove for years that uh even after they got details, still had red clay on the dashboard because it sticks to everything. Mm-hmm. And in the summer, when it gets hot, concrete is softer to land on. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. Um, no one, I don't think really anyone dove that day, that's for sure. Um, they were just going to pay for it um, if, if they did, um, or they would just see that gigantic dust cloud that we also that we also Right, saw, kind of announcing um, where they are. Yeah, that we also <laughs> in Philly and yeah, even back then, people were always making sure they paid paid attention to that. Yeah, wow. All right. Um, so what's one piece of equipment or marker we you wish you'd never gotten rid of? Oh, it, oh I really wish you didn't ask that one. Um, my Frazier <laughs> CS1. Um, oh, God, that thing was pretty. Um, I yeah. just sold it, um, unfortunately. Yeah, um, I sold it I for with like half a million shots literally on it um that was in my listing that this gun had that many and that was before the last reset um yeah so gosh no god only knows how much it actually had but um i shot it for four or five years uh 
love it to death. Would love to buy it back. So if uh, you're a listener uh, to this podcast and you have my free CS one, get back to me. Um, I will buy it back to you. Buy it back from you. Okay. For more than what I, you, what I sold it to you. All right. <laughs> Just want to make and that known. I'll send you your trigger back for what I've got into it. Oh, no worries there. I got another one. <laughs> Alrighty then. All right. Uh, so I, I, I think I know the answer to this one and I think it's in my closet currently. Um, but what's your favorite marker of all time? Um, yep. It is in your closet. It is my, <laughs> my Lux, my legendary Lux. Um, for those in Oklahoma paintball, I, you guys know I've had a Lux uh, since they came out. I shot way too much through it. Um, now I'm just throwing more money at it than uh, probably most people throw at Porsches um, at this rate is what it feels. So, um, but it's about time it just gets hung up, but that thing has so much paint through it and it's um, ridiculous like that it still actually even holds air, to be honest. It doesn't hold air most of the time. Most of the time, not. It is uh, heli- or helicoiled uh, three separate uh, areas. So, this is uh, for, for those of you uh, who, who don't know Ryan and haven't seen this gun, it is a, a Frankenlux uh, 1.63 or something because it's got so many parts from so different, many different iterations of the original Lux. And when it shoots, it's a thing of beauty. It's just, uh, as Ryan said, it's been shot a lot. And uh, I've been trying to convince him for, I think about four years now to just put it in a shadow box and hang it over the mantle of the fireplace and give it the reverence it deserves. Um, it, it, she's lived a rough life. It's time to time to retire. Time, yeah. Time to retire it. And, and, and yeah, I almost got there with my ego 11 until I got the, the one part I was missing. So I, I completely understand where you're coming from, but uh, yeah, that thing is, is like I said, when it shoots the thing of beauty, it's just, it's, uh, it's been shot a lot. It's been yeah. Shot a lot been shot a lot yes. and not been taken care of as it should i will say yeah. all right what's one thing you'd like to see brought back oh man um straight shot squeegees on lanyards <laughs> i have one of those like recently i bought one a year or oh, so ago yeah i just found one of mine uh recently it was like taped up to the actual lanyard itself because like the the ring itself actually rusted off so i have it um, hanging around in my garage, uh, just you know, with a bunch of other crap. You know, the, the, those things were great to use. They would definitely clean your barrel out really, really well. I always ended up snagging mine somewhere, and I could never quite get the whole. Because you see the old pictures, like the Dynasty guys and the old school guys. Somehow theirs is straight vertical over their back, and they know exactly where it is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, mine was never that easy to find. It was just I had to like grab my neck and then reach around the lanyard to get to the freaking straight shot. Yeah. Or the other thing I'm thinking is uh, probably hats. Let's bring back some hats, like baseball hats of like the BC Cole area. Right. Cole era. Yeah. Let's bring those back. Let's bring back some pinwheel hats. Mm-hmm. Bonus points if you guys can name that pro who wore a pinwheel hat. And then. Uh, also, the boonie hats. Of course, always got to have those in your gear bag. Uh, yeah, always have a, always have a boonie hat because you never know what it's going to do certain things weather-wise. And uh, they're always stylish and they're okay if they look like they've been wadded up because that's what they're supposed to be. So, uh, yeah, booty hats are great. That's definitely a, definitely a must-include in a gear bag, whether you're playing, spectating, coaching, pitting, whatever. They're just great to have around. 
Oh yeah. And guys don't ever, you know, if you're at an event and you're ever worried about like the rain and it comes in, you don't have a boonie yet, just put a box of paint on your head or, you know, the box that houses your actual paint, put it on your head in between points and that'll act as your own visor. There's another little tip for everyone. Right. I just wish I could look as cool as Josh Rao playing in a boonie hat. I don't know how he does it, but he makes it look effortless. That he does. Yeah, every time that I wear one, it just goes flying off. And, you know, I just look like a little humpback whale going through the snake or something. Great. All right. Uh, so how did you get into competitive play? Um, To be honest, uh, I was just playing recreationally um, out at Choctaw back in 2003. Um, like I said, the very first team that I played with was uh, just met up with them out there and they were like, hey, you want to come play this tournament? Uh, so-and-so dropped out and I was like, sure, I've got, you know, a hundred bucks and uh, $50 that I can throw out a case of paint. Let's go play some paintball. And um, like I said earlier, that was that story. Um, but yeah, it was just uh, my buddy Levi Lithicum just asked me if I wanted to play with him. Uh, that kind of just started my foray into it. Otherwise, I was just uh, running around on the recreational field playing with uh, whoever showed up that day, um, if they set up the airball field. Or, um, you know, maybe they're doing recreational uh, stuff out in the woods field or something. Great. And that got you all the way to what? Uh, and I'm, I'm going to get this wrong, but you got the D2 back in the day, right? I got up to D1, and I only okay. played part of the season. Um, really... To be honest, uh, probably I shouldn't have probably been up there. I had one great event every other time. It was, you know, lackluster performance. So probably knocked down to D3. But yeah, I did play a little bit in D1. And that was uh, with the Oklahoma City Sonics. Um, you know, those people include like Randall Barnes, um, Tanner Sadler, Corey Ford. Um, you had uh, the likes of Robert Gay, uh, Caleb Cross. A uh, number of, you know, some of the older uh, Oklahoma staples from back then. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's good to see Robert and Caleb about the the three man at Abbott a couple of weeks ago. I, I did. I didn't expect to see either of them. Um, and Robert's always a fun guy to talk to. And he'll actually be a guest uh, on an episode soon while talking about the history of paintball in this general area. Yeah. So you know shouting out to a upcoming episode all right what's one improvement you'd like to see to the sport um probably just everyone's probably going to say but ref you know refing quality but really you can't you can't penalize you know uh human error because there's always going to be those split decisions so uh, maybe just better tracking of overall like player performance so like right Mm -hmm. now they're just now introducing uh play like paintball statistics again Right. Um, I've hit up, you know, I've hit them up a couple of times at, you know, offering to do all that. And I haven't really heard back from them, but now, you know, that they're pumping out information, of course, you know, I'm going to start consuming it. So it's right. a start, but I really wish it was there like it was uh, with the paintball access days or even back to the MPPL days, back whenever they uh, tracked it with the RF chips, how long you were alive or how many shots mm-hmm. um, that you did during a tournament to make sure. Oh, and to also make sure you weren't cheating. It would do that as well. Um, Great. We know how that went. Yeah, yeah. drained batteries and people found a way around it. But yep. I, yeah, and I, and I think honestly, the the decision of everybody finally to go to ramping, whilst I initially didn't like it, it's the great equalizer and it got rid of so much cheating. Yeah, it did. 
once they figured out like how to, you know, what's that fine, that fine line, you know, um, as you're well aware of back in the day, it was uncapped ramping and then they capped it to 15 and they were like, that's, that's a little too much. Let's go, you know, down to like, what was it? 13 and then to 12, five. Um, and then they they went went 10 and then back to 12 and then back to 10. Yeah. And 10 is a pretty good, it's a pretty good one. I feel, you know, it gives everyone equal, equal chance at that rate. But yeah, um, going back to uh, you know that question, definitely paintball stats. Um, I'm glad they're bringing it back now. Yeah, I would love to see some some deeper analytics. I know you and I have have talked about it, um, and part of it is uh, <laughs> for tournament tracking, um, getting real honesty from the players. Because uh, if you add up all the kills after a point, there were nine guys on that field. Yeah, and you know, I shot fifteen of them. Absolutely right, and, and yeah. you know, first ball every time. Uh, <laughs> but no, I, I think analytics could be important. I think it's going to help definitely take the the competitive side to the next step, um, and, and definitely help with player development and equipment development. Um, and honestly, I, I don't know how well that's going to spill over to the um, recreational scenario play, except for as it improves the players all around. Uh, It'll, it'll just improve the players all around because that that sort of those things that you have to learn to play against guys of higher caliber or that just trickle down at the local field is going to help everybody out. So analytics would be great. Uh, and I also think analytics of the scenario guys for yep. how much paint is shot in an event and how much of an area is played. Because uh, I think sometimes you go to a scenario and there's too much real estate for the number of players. I think sometimes mm-hmm. you go and there's not enough real estate. Um, so I think some analytics there actually would help too to figure out the the perfect size uh, of a field. Yeah. And uh, not even just that, like it would also be cool just to be like, uh, you know, like they have with Airsoft, they have like live tracking of players on like a GPS thing. You can view mm-hmm. it on a map. It's, I mean, that's incredible. Uh, we need to bring that into paintball as well. It's not really stats, but that connectivity will also bring about stats as well. And also, you know, gives us, you know, more gives that player the more uh control over what they what they're doing like maybe a mag fed player wants to know um how many hits he actually effectively got at a certain range um so he can actually right. track it you know uh based on his time or something or uh he opens up his phone and which he shouldn't use but um we're not there yet but he can still track it if, you know long term it would be kind of fun well, that and also the GPS tracking for players is a great thing for safety too. I just thought of it that if, if God forbid somebody collapse in the woods because it's 100 degrees out, 105 degrees out, with 30 percent humidity, like we're going to be playing oh next month, um, somebody collapses and they're they're geotagged or they're carrying sort of a GPS transponder, finding them is going to be a lot easy. So if you see somebody not moving for 10, 15 minutes, right, you mm-hmm. go send a ref over if they're still they're just you know. Lying in, lying, lying in the tall grass waiting for somebody cool whatever if they're down then you can get help faster so there's definitely uh safety and uh precautionary things with that as well so i think there's definitely uh ideas that could go with that yeah and like um more numbers uh the more numbers the better we can make the sport you know the more Absolutely. that we can report on it you know based on whatever criteria you give it uh the more that we can boost out to the actual audience that might be missing it entirely for sure and for you numbers nerds out there if you've got any ideas uh hit me up 
on the Facebook page or the email, and I will definitely pass that idea on to Ryan because uh, numbers are kind of his job and his passion. Um, and, and I think uh, that there's all sorts of ways to grow some good statistical models for the sport. Very much so, yeah. All right. Uh, what's your favorite paintball memory? Uh, favorite paintball memory? Oh, man, that was that's a hard one, man. Um, so I'm probably going to have to say my very first PSP win. Um, I won it with my best friends back in the day uh, on uh, Midwest Militia or better mm -hmm. whenever we would want it. We were known as uh, AES Militia. Um, I play with a lot of them. I still play with one of them to this day, Chris Davis. Um, uh, he was our coach that day. And uh, we still, that's probably my, my best memory. Um, also remember trap like for, for everyone uh, that would, that wasn't there. Uh, so very last point of the day, um, it was getting close to where, you know, we we're starting to bite our nails that we were going to lose the tournament. It was just a five man. So you only, you only get up to three tries. It became one, one and we go off the box and all of a sudden our friend Travis just takes off down the field. And within, I think 10 seconds or probably that's probably generous, probably more like five. He effectively won the game um, for us. And I just remember just dropping to the ground, just could not believe it that my very first PSP event ever that I won. That's pretty awesome. That's really awesome. Uh, and that was, a, that was a great roster. We, uh, we banged heads against those guys, you guys, uh, when you were still Midwest militia playing, playing local tournaments. And those were always, Always good practices. Um, you guys don't always hurt better in the tournament than we did, but the practices were always solid and the points were always back and forth and fun. Um, yeah, that was that was always the most that's the most more important thing though. Have fun. Yeah. And, uh, uh, sorry, go ahead. Oh no, go ahead. I was gonna say uh just to everybody out there, so Ryan and I have known each other since oh god, how 2010, 2011, 20, yeah, somewhere along right. Yeah, maybe a little earlier, but not by much. Anyway, so around that time period, um, and Ryan was always in a higher division than me, uh, so we didn't really ever get to play against each other, and we never really got to play with each other until a couple of years ago at a at a scenario event. We ended up in a <laughs> little building that should have had three people in it with eleven of us, um, and we were doing nothing but just shooting out the other team, um. A lot. I'm not going to tell the rest of the story, Ryan, because I don't want you to have uh, flashbacks. Oh uh, no, it's it's okay. You can continue. It's it's too good to pass up. So uh, it's it was a small building. It was like a like a storage building, like somebody would have in their backyard. And I'm literally moving the door back and forth as my bunker, uh, shooting people out, and everybody else turned this building into a into a porcupine with barrels sticking out every crevice, just shooting people out. And I finally get friendly fired to the point that I just I get shot too much to even think about telling the medic that he should just cheat. Uh, I mean, put my name down. Uh, and then apparently shortly after I left, um, it was a Viper scenario. So barrel tags were allowed and a guy came up with a halo energy sword prop and tagged everybody out. And apparently it uh, scared poor Ryan a little bit. Yeah. yeah. He, well, he didn't get everyone. He got me. And the, the, the poor thing was everyone got to witness me getting stabbed with a, energy sword at a paintball event so i'm guessing everybody else in the building avenged your death then yes very much uh, so. okay. mm -hmm. yeah but at, to this day i'm still 
energy swords, anything that's not a paintball marker, a, a scenario event, I just, I'm not a fan of. It's not going to deal with you. <laughs> Shoot that guy extra. Yeah. Um, and then, and then last year, uh, Ryan and I got to play a tournament together finally, which was 10, 10 man at world cup. And that was, uh, that was amazing. Uh, was. finally getting to play my first national event and playing my first tournament with a, a bunch of guys that I had, uh, played with, played against, coached, um, and and I think uh, Ryan morning. and I had more fun play, the having the knowing the fact that we finally got to play a tournament with each other than oh. the other nine guys that played with us that day. Yeah, that was that was sick, man. I could not believe that because it was always like you said, it was just something that I uh, never really saw. But ten man came about, and you like we just said it. Let's go. Right, and, dude. It was it was incredible. So for everyone out there, definitely try ten man. It's yeah, it's awesome. It's, yeah, it's so laid back. It's almost not like a tournament. Yeah, uh, I mean, it is a term where people are trying to win, but it's not. It's not X ball. It's not even. It's not even five v five, right? It's completely laid back, and people are are serious, buzzer to buzzer. But it's it's almost more like a practice the way that it's laid back. In fact, I've been to more tense practices than the last two ten man events we played. Yeah, and you know, probably you know, people are probably worn out, or you know, like there are people, you know, teams that want to win, but it's like, like you said, it's just it's real laid back. Um, you're going to have fun. You're going to look at your buddy and realize uh, you're up, you know, kill five, but there's still five more to go. Right. So they never taught us how to go up, you know, past that amount other than seven, man. And even then, you know, you're getting up to two digits now. No, that's way too many for me. Uh, I am going to say that if you're going to play 10 V 10, have an old guy who's really loud in the back who can relay both sides of the field. Yes, sir. That is. In very other words, true. um, I'll play. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Last question that we could jump into the topic. Uh, what does the sport need to grow? Um. So, the sport needs to grow, of course, like its its reach in terms of like uh, its audience. Um, and that comes down to marketing, but it needs to grow its its base. And that's mm-hmm. one of the hardest things that we can really do because you know, like. We can always say let's grow the tournament sudden. That's like ninety, like five percent, or no, that's only like maybe five percent of the overall business. Like everything else is red. Mm-hmm. How do we get the customer, you know, back in? You know, keep coming in. So how do we make it more engaging? How do we get them, you know, you know, get that uh, that idea in their head? And you know, you see it in some fields, um, you know, doing props and whatnot. So maybe looking at more uh, development like that, um, adding more. Uh, it's going to be real weird to say, but like technology to it. So um, a lot of airsoft events, they have the the philosophical bomb, or it's a little box with a timer on it. Uh, mm-hmm. You have, you of course, you have to enter a you know sequence, or you have to do some sort of connection, or get a you know a prop to actually do it. So maybe incorporating that to it um, into it as well. You know, just that little extra amount to to get that uh, player in, and then uh, build them from there. You know, whether it be you know, mech or, um, you know, magfed even, you know, it doesn't have to always be speedball. Like that's what I, I don't want to focus on is I want everyone to focus on getting into the sport and, you know, playing for fun. So, and if they want to get into speedball, so be it, but play, you know, play recreationally as, you know, for the fun of it. For sure. Um, 
and, and I think that's something that a lot of people forget when they get into the, the competitive side uh, or even they get into the hardcore scenario side, right? Is that there's, mm. there's other disciplines out there and play the other disciplines, right? And when you get somebody talking to you about paintball, don't try to just push them in one direction. Be honest about all the types. And, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of us, and again, I say younger and older players, not based on age, but based on, on time and sport. A lot of us older guys end up going back to playing multiple types um, because of the fact that, that scenarios with your buddies, even if you're on a tournament team, are fun, you know, because it takes you back to where you started. Um, and then, you know, us, us old guys that don't play many tournaments play a lot of scenarios, still play a tournament every once in a while because, A, you want to see if you still got it, and B, it's fun to get out there with with your friends and, you know, mess around. So yeah, and don't it's, tie yourself to one discipline. Yeah, and so, like, kind of going back to uh, I before I went off on a tangent, like, yeah, just making it more interactive and more engaging, more attractive, you know, to everyone. Um, so by adding props or new elements that, you know, maybe – um uh other sports actually have um you know mm-hmm. i don't want to yeah <laughs> I'll, I'll just leave it there yeah i was about to say you know we could bring in like penalty boxes like in hockey but oh yeah we already did that before yeah let's not that, that didn't go very it. no it went yeah it was fun yeah except for the guy in hockey leaving the, the penalty box doesn't get smashed in the face with a puck when he comes out yeah um, I, I think I see, I've seen maybe two clips where somebody left a penalty box in the old NXL days where they didn't get, or NXL PSP days, pardon me, where they didn't get just completely roasted coming out of the box. Yeah, but I'm not going to lie. Like, uh, whenever you're, you know, 13, 14, just seeing that, you're just like, oh, that's, you know, probably the sickest thing you've ever seen. Yeah. But let's not go back to it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was an interesting idea and I'm glad it they was. tried it. And I'm glad they've abandoned it. And, you know, at least they were trying something. Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of the innovation of this sport have come from, ah, heck, let's try it. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of them have stuck and a lot of them haven't. But you can't innovate without failure. Exactly. All right. So now we're going to ta- jump into tonight's topic, uh, which is how to take care of yourself and your gear uh, in between playing. Um, so... Uh, kind, kind of free form this one. Let's talk about taking care of yourself first. And uh, for those of you that know me, this is not my topic because I am not what you would call in great shape, but I can tell you some good things to do. Um, hydrate afterwards, for sure. Regardless of how much you hydrated before, hydrate afterwards. Yeah. But how do you stay fit uh, between practices? So uh, I like to run a lot. Um, not as much as I used to, uh, trying to take it uh, light on my knees and, uh, but you know, uh, getting that 30 minutes of, uh, cardio every day, uh, just to say, you know, somewhat healthy and then, uh, stretching for sure. Uh, lots of stretching to that's just primary and payball, um, especially on our side of the, uh, the sport where you have mm-hmm. to, you know, be extremely flexible. Um, um, I also, you know, some light weightlifting, um, nothing too crazy, just multiple reps, something you can do with resistance bands at home. Um, but short of that, that's, that's really all I do. Maybe an hour's worth of, uh, you know, exercise a day. That's a lot. Those, those resistance bands and the stretching, uh, staying pliable is important. 
Um, I don't stretch as much as I should, but I definitely keep moving uh, as much as I can. Um, but yeah, you've got some players that are absolute gym rats or that are, are, are running things four or five, six days a week. Um, then you have Dennis, and we won't talk about that psychopath. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm gravel pods. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to talk about him now. Uh, we, we've got a guy who plays on the Bucks. Dennis is a, is a great kid, a really good player, and, I, and I've loved seeing him develop, uh, who likes to fill his pack with pods filled with gravel and then run individual drills wearing that thing. Yeah, I didn't think he would actually take it literally. I don't know how his packs don't just move out twice a season. Dude, it, it's it's a workout, I will say. Um, I mean, paint's yeah. heavy enough on those things, but uh, if I was carrying 13 gravel pods, first of all, I'd fall backwards. And second of all, uh, I think my pack would just quit. Yeah. Yeah, I think my hips would just quit, too, at that rate. Absolutely. Uh, so when you get home from a, from a tournament or a scenario, besides hydrating and, and electrolytes, um, what do you do f- to yourself? for yourself yeah so uh when it comes down to that uh, i uh i'm kind of one of those uh those horrible uh those pseudo athletes oh i'm just gonna have you know uh a guilty pleasure so i'll have like a thing of cake or something you know something bad Mm -hmm. after a tournament just it doesn't matter i burned it off is what you know what i view it as and then right but that's you know that one thing i get and after that i've got to earn the rest yeah, uh, literally that's it. Uh, no real ice baths, maybe a massage gun um, if like my calves are cramping up. But short of that, uh, just like to come home, relax, and uh, yeah, have my little snack. Snacks, snacks are important. Uh, those little little cheat days rewards are are important. Uh, I recently bought a massage gun and finally started using it. And um, where were these things fifteen years ago? I know, right? Uh, <laughs> where Dude. were these things when I still had cartilage? Um, yeah, uh, they're uh, like, they're amazing. Yeah, that's like a hidden like gear bag thing to have. It's like if you can carry a little portable one, dude. Yeah, mm-hmm. especially like once you get out uh, drawn out into the Sundays uh, or you know into your finals, that that stuff's pretty awesome. Not gonna lie, um, I've got one in my gear bag uh, currently. So uh, I should probably make space for one. Um, Although now that I don't pack as much as I used to, it's crazy. You don't have to have a backup everything anymore. That's so true, man. Like that's like 100% on the money. I love that about uh, the game nowadays. Uh, reliability of things. Everything's just built to last now. Right. Um, yeah, I uh, I packed one spare item for Cup last year, and I ended up not needing. It. I took a spare hopper because I just couldn't bring myself to not bring any spare gear. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, and spare, spare barrel condoms, but someone's got to have a desk pop, right? You're going to need a spare barrel condom or it's going to get lost or whatever. But beyond that, you don't need spares anymore. Yeah. It's crazy. Uh, yeah. Like everything, you know, and if, you know, for some reason you do, you have product support right at the event generally. Mm-hmm. Makes, you know, makes life real easy, but that doesn't mean abuse your equipment. I mean, it's, it's a tool. It's going to only work as good as, uh, or as well as you take care of it. So, right. Absolutely. Just um, like your body. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think I think my favorite thing to do when I'm done playing is is I definitely drink a lot of water after I'm done playing because uh, the amount that of sweat that my body puts out is not normal. It's just it's not. Let's be honest. Um, and uh, I, I don't know how many team dinners we've gone to after an event, and I'll order a glass of water and then a glass of like iced tea because I need the caffeine because I got to drive, but I need the mm-hmm. water because it it's all gone. Um, so I definitely hydrate. Uh, I, I definitely restore some electrolytes. And I like eating a big meal afterwards. A is kind of a reward, like you mentioned, like uh, last year after Cup, after we were done. I treated myself to a steak dinner because, dang it, I felt like a winner. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I normally eat well after an event. And part of that's to to replenish the stories. And part of that is um, it's going to help me sleep. Because yeah. uh, sleeping while sore is not is not good. Uh, <laughs> at least not for me. It's not a very, it's not a good night to sleep. So I carb load a little bit to, to help myself carb crash, and then uh, definitely the next couple of days I, I take things lighter. Um, and I trade. Pardon me. I try to keep moving. Um, the whole time, or not the whole time, but as often as possible, so I don't I, my body doesn't just lock up on me. And I think a lot of us made that mistake back in the day that we'd play an event and that we'd just not do anything the next day. Yeah. And then two days afterwards is when it really hits, especially as you get older. That two-day gap will yeah. kill you if you're not careful. Man, I used to, uh, whenever I was younger, I used to not believe in that. I was like, man, there's, that, you know, the whole soreness. Yeah, like you said, it's a second-day thing now. Like, I'm <laughs> right. a little bit older now. It hurts so much more now. So mm-hmm. yeah, you gotta take care of yourself. But yeah, like I probably gotta adopt what you're saying. Um, probably dr- drink a bit more water after the event, you know, to replenish myself. Um, and probably not indulge so much. But it's a uh, win in Rome, as they say. Right. And uh, dang it, if I if I'm gonna you know get shot at all day or two days and and uh sweat a lot and and everything else, I'm gonna treat myself to a good dinner. Right. I I've, yeah. I've earned it. Um. And, uh, and why not? You know, you've You're been beating your body up all weekend. You might as well do something nice for it. Something yeah. it likes, at least. <laughs> Maybe not exactly. nice, but something it's going to like. Exactly. You know, it makes, you know, you know, second to last place feel a lot better when you're chowing down on a steak with your best buds. Just, you know, it's one of those guilty pleasures or, or having, uh, you, know, yeah. you know, disappointment ice cream with them as well. Dude, that, that hit a little close to home for me because I spent, right. finished a lot of tournaments second to last. Ooh, yeah, I've got a couple last place. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know what? But uh, I had a blast every single one of them, and, and those guys are all still family, so I, I don't care. Nice. All right, so let's talk about. Maybe you shouldn't talk on this next part. Let's talk about gear. Um, Ooh. Yeah. So it's no longer at the point where, especially on spool valves, right? It's no longer at the point where you've had a thousand shots or 10,000 shots or 10,000 shots and you better break the whole thing down a little bit, right? It's not that important anymore. No, it's it's really not. It's it's pretty much foolproof nowadays. Um, um, yeah, I'll just run it till it goes out is kind of now how all, all you know, or run it till it goes down is kind of how all the markers are nowadays. Great. I mean, I'll, I'm a 
big fan of lubing your bolt kit like before an event, mm-hmm. right? But for practice, if it's working, it's working. You know, yeah. regulators, if they're consistent, no touchy. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's kind of how I am. I just don't bother with those regs. But when it comes to like uh, my marker before an event, I'll think about it, look at it, and call it good nowadays. Uh, but yeah. it's also like you could stretch it out so far. I mean, they're just so foolproof. Um, there's markers out there that have tens of thousands of shots that have never been lubed. And it's just, it kind of just shows. I mean, don't take up this practice. You should always take care of your stuff, but um, you don't really have to stress too much about it anymore. Um, everything kind of takes kind of take, takes care of itself. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, if you pull your bolt kit out and you still see visibly see, see lube, you're probably good yeah, exactly. anymore. Um, everything's got a decent, well, almost everything's got a decent battery indicator now, so it's not Although I'm, I'm in all retentive, I still replace batteries before big events. Yeah, right? always. That's kind of like, yeah, one of those good golden rules, always replace your battery. Especially on that. loaders, because uh, you can you have an idea when your marker battery is starting to go. You don't know about your loader batteries until you got shot because your loader quit working. Yeah. Or in my case, you got three teammates shot because your loader quit working. Yeah, and you there's not too much you can do about it. You can like... Uh, you know, take out, take it all apart and stuff it down your shirt maybe, or, you know, start musketing. But yeah, um, always definitely change your batteries before in your hopper before an event. I risk it too. Oh, absolutely. The, the, the couple of bucks in double A's uh, is definitely a lot cheaper than uh, finishing last because uh, paint bills are not always cheap. Yeah. And no one wants to be that guy, you know, that, Mm -hmm. you know, failed everyone because you didn't change your batteries. You don't want to be that guy. And And if you're playing a a scenario or you're playing rec ball, definitely if you're playing scenario, you know, you, you get into a good spot or you get into a really, a really big gunfight or you're trying to hold an objective and your loader goes down. It's a long walk back to the staging area. I don't care where you are. And when it's, so you're walking back because your equipment went down, it feels a lot longer. Yeah. Um, and again, it's a couple of bucks for the double A's. So maybe, maybe five bucks now, whatever batteries are. Um, I really should price batteries instead of just throwing them in the cart and paying for them later. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, loader batteries I don't mess around with gun batteries anymore unless it's like a big event or i'm i'm i mean already tend to so if it's halfway or less and i'm going to a tournament or a big practice or or a scenario i'm changing the battery out but if it's half or higher and it's just practice or it's just a fun day uh or even i'm, I'm going to you know a scrimmage or whatever I, it's probably going to be fine um but yeah loader batteries don't mess around on um yeah, especially, uh, like I said, it's a little bit harder nowadays to manually feed them, or you'd have to manually feed it yourself. So, yeah. And you only get to play so many times. So, why why present a problem there? Absolutely. Uh, the spires will kind of gravity feed, not really. Uh, controls yeah. will kind of gravity feed because it's the same hopper internally, but not, not really. Uh, Dilators, you can pull the fin back, but you're going to get four or five balls in the stack. Tops. Yeah. Tops. Um, 
and I can't speak for the other loaders because I haven't I haven't used them, but you're probably looking at a lot of the same situation. Uh, yeah. So it's yeah, if you're only shooting four or five balls before you have to do something to manipulate your loader, um, you're gonna have a bad time. And whether you're just not having fun or you're having a bad record at the event, um, neither one of those are good. So definitely, definitely, batteries are important. How often do you, or actually I think you're like, kind of like me, your, your marker regulators where I know back in the day, especially on, I mean, you were shooting a shocker. I was shooting an impulse, um, you know, and then as we, we graduated to things like egos and geos where they weren't as maintenance intensive as like the old smart parts regs, but still regulators had to be serviced every 20,000 shots or so. I don't think I ever touched the regulator on either one of my 170s, which GTEC 170s saw a lot of paint. And I know I haven't touched it on my GO4, which saw a lot of paint. Uh, and my DSR, which hasn't shot a lot, still hasn't still shot a fair amount. Haven't touched that one either. When's the last time you actually cleaned the regulator on a newer gun? Uh, other than to install my IM kit for like my DSR, uh, not not to my knowledge. Uh, probably maybe two years ago, um, and that was all. Only because my gun could not, uh, my marker wouldn't operate. Uh, it was my fault of all things because I didn't take care of it. Uh, rust had actually started uh, to accumulate in the uh, regulator, um, so I, I let it. Uh, I played out in a rainstorm and I just kind of threw it out, threw it in my gear bag and kind of forgot about it. Oh and, uh, yeah, yeah, I remember yeah. this. Yeah, uh, it was pretty, pretty disgusting. But uh, so probably, I want to talk about. Oh, sorry, go ahead. But yeah, if you can't remember the last time you, you cleaned your regulator and you've shot a lot of paint, um, and I mean like a whole season's worth, maybe, you know, have a tech look, you know, just deal with it and then don't ever deal with it again. But if you're still consistent over the chrono, who cares? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. As long as it's consistent, use it. Um, so it, it's that time of year. I think I'd like to talk about, and, and I hate the R word as, as I like to call it. it. It rhymes with pain. Uh, Ryan's used it a couple times now. Um, caring for your gear after that. And yeah. uh, a lot of folks will just, okay, the, the marker is still working after it got wet or after I submerged it or after I went through this puddle going into a, a bunker or a bunch of trees or, or whatever. Um, and it's out of sight, out of mind after that. Um, and what we learned back in the day, and I think this still kind of holds true, is it, it's not the event or the practice where it got wet. It's the next one that you have to worry about. Because uh, that moisture seeps into all the electronics. It, yeah, I know every manufacturer at this point has, has moisture treated their boards, but it's still electronics. It still happens, um, yeah. Um, it's like when you I, drop your phone in the pool. It's no longer a question of is it going to fail. It's a question of when is it going to fail. Mm -hmm. You can't prevent it um, other than – I mean, you really cannot prevent it. Um, moisture will always accumulate in that area. Um, just whenever you do play it in a very um, moist environment, um, after you're done playing for the day, take a, um, like a paper towel or something and just get underneath the grips and get anything that has an electrical component. Just get it. Mm -hmm. dry or dry you know drier than it was and generally it'll evaporate and be okay but don't go you know scuba diving with your your marker and thinking you're going to be able to use it the very next day after you right. throw it in your scuba bag and and when you can 
take the grips all the way off. Let's expose that board to air. Expose that grip to air where the board is located on your on your marker. Um, because if you leave the grips on, not all that moisture is going to evaporate. Um, I'm not saying that you have to use the bolo rice trick because that doesn't really work. Uh, but definitely increase the surface area that's exposed to air. Um, take the battery out, right? Don't don't go turning the board on and off. Well, it may be wet. Um, your loader, take it all the way apart. Get that roll of paper towels like Ryan was talking about. Get a microfiber, whatever. Wipe all that stuff dry. Or as dry as you can get it. Uh, because... I don't know how this works. It's like Newton's 14th law, but the water in a loader will always go to the batteries. That's just that's how water flows. It's physics. It's science. I, I, I don't know why it just does that. Yeah, um, I've I've been in like I've had every situation kind of happen, like what what you're talking about uh the board goes down during you know during event because of a monsoon or the hopper goes down because it seeps into the batteries you know the following day um because i didn't take care of it um same thing with the grips i didn't take them off i've i'm guilty of it um so if you guys want to you know decrease your your expenses in the sport take a little bit you know a little bit extra care uh with your stuff it's not like it used to be where everything was a you know, wasn't coated in some sort of um, hydrophobic material or um, matter of some effect. Um, some of them were just raw or they were actually even soldered on raw, uh, like the old smart parts solenoids. Those were just raw soldered to the, to the noid. There was no coating on top of it. Um, and uh, prophecy loader boards. Ugh. Yeah. I mean, like I said earlier, it's, everything's going to be as reliable as well as you as well as you take care of it. For sure, for sure, yeah. and things are so much easier to disassemble now. It's not that the I swear it was at least eleven screws to take a halo apart, and they were all different lengths. Yeah, or you have um, uh, the velocity um, with its two nine volt batteries that fall out immediately as soon as you take the door off, or the nose gets obliterated, and you kind of have to very ever so slightly turn it just to take it apart. Otherwise, it'll crumble everywhere. Nowadays, or the egg, can... which we just won't discuss disassembling. Yeah, you have that uh, interesting uh, contraption. Uh, but nowadays, you have like like the uh, the rotor or the spire, uh, the HK loaders. You can literally just take out the entire internals within maybe five seconds. Uh, back then, right. we couldn't. We had to disassemble all those screws. Then we had to set them aside. We then had to uh, take all the wires out in. Uh, pull them in between or like push them in between the little ducts of the loader. Um, we didn't want to pinch them whenever we reassembled it. So good luck trying to switch it around between points because that's not going to happen. Yeah. Even with the drill. You're and this is why we all carried a spare halo. Yeah. It easily. I think if you were playing competitively back then, you probably needed three or four of them just in case. And that yeah. was probably a bit, bit shy of what you really needed. It was just the, the plastics back then were not as well made as they are nowadays. So same with electronics. Um, and luckily payroll manufacturers have also looked at how do I make, how do I make it easier for the consumer to, to utilize my equipment? And I, I'm really liking what they're doing. Oh I yeah. Like the fact that 
everything, not everything, but so much stuff is toolless now, right? Yeah. The fact that I can take the bolts, the entire bolt assembly out of my DSR plus with a push of a button. Um, the fact that I can take that, that, well, any, any modern hopper really, besides maybe the, the halo two, which is just still kind of GI's entry level, which great loader, but not, not great to work on. Um, but any of the modern loaders besides that one, you could take apart pretty dang quick. And like Ryan said, I could take apart a spire and probably like you saw me do it last season, pitting for the bucks. I could probably take apart a spire and get it cleaned up, put back together and running in just over a minute. Um, so yeah, it's so much easier to work on stuff. Now there, there's way fewer excuses to not maintain your gear. Uh, that and, Oh man, YouTube videos. If you don't know how to maintain your gear, I can assure you either the manufacturer or somebody reputable. Uh, oh, uh, Pro Edge in Houston or Lone Wolf or ANS gear or uh, probably just those main three is going to have a video for how to maintain your stuff, for how to service your marker, how to service your tank. Actually, Never service your tank. Have somebody do it. Um, but even then, if you want to change the shims on a, like a ninja tank, there's a video for it. So there's no excuse anymore to not service your stuff. Precisely. Um, and each time you service it, um, you you understand the, the caveats of, of your marker or your hopper. Mm -hmm. um, and that also kind of relates to getting ready for events or um even dealing with the environment uh, of the event. Um, you understand that water plus electronics equals not a great day. No batter, mm -hmm. bad batteries equals bad day. So uh, the more you understand your actual equipment, probably the better time you're going to end up having. And so, yeah. And I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's so much harder to lose parts now because everything goes together really well and there's no extra stuff you have removed to get to your things you don't have a, a, a cotter pin holding in a t-pin that you have for removed to take out all the internals of your spider anymore that doesn't exist it's it's one button or you pull something up or you you turn something and your bolt kit comes out um so maintenance is is so much easier than it's ever been and things are so much less maintenance intensive um and i think the war over which grease to use has been lost or has been won a long time ago by dow 33 um everybody's using dow 33 just put different names on it um I, I remember going to the local store and seeing the the rack of different greases that people made uh and i swear it was just the same thing with in different colors Although or I did learn hater sauce is re was really, really, really bad in the cold. Whereas uh, the sleek, the smart parts Dow 33 was a little better in the cold. Or you had those uh, those individuals that would bring in the uh, the outside uh, ones, such as like uh, slick honey, uh, and it smelled like honey. Or um, <laughs> it, it really did. I actually had some. I used it on my old DM4. Um, it worked great in the, in the wintertime, but man it just it it just gunked up uh into your barrel if you applied a little bit too much it was just 
just disgusting otherwise and it and it like it was also a petroleum base i think is what they ended up coming out with and wasn't really good for your o-rings long term but man it was slick as, as the uh the name of the product entails um there's also uh you also have those homemade remedies that people will come up with like you know the airsmith super sauce which is sometimes you know leftover dow 33 from a tube and then a little bit of gun oil gun oil and that's generally what you use like the winter time if you're if you're like really having trouble which nowadays again going down to the markers on how they operate it's not really much of an issue anymore uh so you don't even have to you don't even really have to worry about the conditions uh terribly much yeah things are the only thing that doesn't move well the 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 really bad cold is me boom yeah, well, that's not that much of a lie. Um, yeah, I, things aren't temperature sensitive as much as they used to be. And don't get me wrong. Somebody says everybody go chrono. I'm going to go chrono, right? But regulator creep is nowhere where it used to be. And Oh, the temperature's gone up five degrees outside. We need to re-chrono. Probably not. Mm-hmm. Regulators are so good now. Between tank regulators and marker the- regulators. Really, uh, probably like the big driving factor behind that is just the the uh, move or the migration away from CO2. Um, that's kind of a, now that we're pretty much all using compressed air across the board, um, it's been a very long time since I've been to a field that has, uh, that utilizes CO2 at all, uh, to be frank. Thankfully, that stuff is nasty. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was kind of like the only reason you really ever had to go and re-chrono, um, unless uh, you were real, you know, unless you were worried about maybe your paint changing the bore, because of course that does happen throughout, but really that's the only part you have to really worry about. It's not the regulator, it's the paint uh, that you have to be more concerned about. Yeah, I, I remember when, when I was still shooting a spider, even with compressed air, um, we'd have velocity problems and the impulse to velocity problems sometimes later in the day. Uh, and, and that's just because uh, the tank regulators weren't as good, and the impulse without the LPR just would not was way more temperature sensitive. Um, but I think that's just the way some of those older knock open poppets functioned. Although by the time I got to an Ego 11, I never had that issue. Um, in fact, I don't think I've had to massively rechrono a marker from event to event in years. I think I said it before we went to Texas for NXL on my DSR plus, and I don't think I've messed with it since. I'm in the same bucket on that one. Uh, if it's good enough for an event, it's good enough for probably till the next event, to be honest. Right. Uh, now that's not saying everyone don't use that as the, the guiding rule of thumb, but I mean, with how everything operates and, everyone's tank regulators and uh, marker regulators being the same. You're not really trading out with your teammate. Uh, oh, I want to try this different one, maybe. Right. That might be the only time you ever have to adjust it, but if it's still the same thing that you had last week, you're probably good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that's experience, right? You, you know how the ball's flying. You, you know the sound of your marker. Um. So as you're developing your skill set, definitely chrono more often. And as you get used to your marker and you have a bunch of people around you shooting the same marker, 
if yours sounds different, there's something going on, right? If yours is falling shorter or going longer on the shot, check your velocity, check your battery. Um, but it's not like anymore where you're shooting 290 in the morning, all of a sudden you're shooting 310 in the afternoon. Um, the, the regulators now are just so good. They also, uh, I mean, as you play a tournament, they always check you anyways. Yeah, absolutely. You really, you're, you're always on top of it. If you're, if you're at an event like that, um, I know scenario events, they do it twice, um, just to make certain, um, I mean, as long as you're playing some sort of event, you're probably going to get checked, but at a recreational field, always, regardless if, you know, you played last week, just, just do it as a good habit. Right. Yeah. Just get in the habit of it and, and get to the, it, it also makes you, uh, makes you more familiar with your gear. Right. And there's no such thing as having too much knowledge on what you're, what you're using. Um, And it also makes you where you could be helpful to other people if they start having issues with a with a similar marker. Because uh, quite often, especially at a field where there's a bunch of rec players going on, the the person running the field may not have time to work on a bunch of markers. Um, so if you can jump in and help somebody real quick, figure out their chrono problem or tell them, hey, they need a new battery or they just need to lose their stuff real quick. Um, First of all, you've, you've done the whole reach one thing I've talked about several times. And, and secondly, you've helped somebody get back on the field and, and have more fun and learn some more paintball. So the more familiar you are with your gear, the better off you are. All right. Now I'm going to ask you this one. And here's a zinger because we know each other. So I'm going to hold you to this answer. How often do you wash your gear? I, oh, yeah. I used to be very, very, very bad about this. Um, <laughs> yeah, I had a phase where I was, uh, if a sponsor didn't give me a new thing of gear, I wouldn't wash my gear. And that included event to event, practice to practice until the thing fell apart. And it didn't matter the, the smell, anything. I was just one of those guys that just wanted to be grungy and uh looking back on it i'm surprised i didn't ever get staff uh there's a reason why i refer to you as a murder hobo yeah nowadays i i immediately throw so i immediately throw all my stuff into one of those wet bags and mm -hmm. then I bring it back back to the house and go straight into the washing machine now so how often do you like wash your pads and your pack and stuff like that so uh I wash those every time. Uh, really? Pack, okay. Not the pack so much. Uh, I wash that as needed. Um, you don't want to generally send that through the through the washing machine or anything. Um, but yeah, I just throw everything in the washing machine and then throw throw into the dryer or hang it up to dry as as I see fit. Yeah, I only wash my pads every two or three wearings unless it was like really hot or they were really dirty. Um, but that's because I don't want them wearing out. Um, not that I spend a lot of time crawling, but, um, yeah, I think for me, it's a question of how dirty are the elbow pads and the, or the elbow pads, knee pads pack. Uh, now if it's, if it's after a two day scenario, yeah, they're going in the wash. Um, if it was 105 degrees in the shade of practice, and I played the whole time, 
they're absolutely going in the wash. Um, if it's winter and it was a scrimmage, it depends on how much I got shot. Um, but that's that's me, and I definitely don't wash the pack every time because the Velcro gets messed up after a while. Um, and if you're like me and you're going through nine to eleven, nine to eleven pods uh, a game, your pack is your best friend. Um, and if I don't keep shooting that much paint, uh, the bucks aren't going to let me play Tin Man with them anymore. So <laughs> I have to have a functional pack. Um, so yeah, I definitely don't watch the pack that often. Um, and I definitely air dry almost everything these days. Like jerseys, I'll dry. Undergarments, I'll dry. Um, but even that's on, on lower medium heat. Everything else gets air dried, especially my headgear, because I had a an old school Raven headband destroyed by a dryer. There, uh, yeah, so I haven't, there are exceptions, I haven't, yeah, to what you can wash, yeah. Um, my headgear, I do hand wash uh, very sparingly. Um, there's not much left of it to wash. I, I think you need to put that snake stripe, um, which which I know Greenspan is a fan of that exact spring, uh, uh, snake stripe. I, I think you need to put it in the shadow box with, uh, with the Lux, because at some point, I think it's going to disintegrate on your forehead, and we're not going to be able to console you. Ooh, that is a good point. But that's why there's two sides. Well, if it comes apart and doesn't, you know, get into multiple pieces, there's not going to be two sides. There's going to be like 14 or 16 sides. We, we can we can sew it back together. You True. You, Mickey can fix may, almost anything. You may need to look at this. Um, I've, uh, I've hand-stitched it myself, uh, learning how to like kind of sew as I go. It's pretty bad, but it's it's you know that extra bit of sentimental value. It's like I've hand sewed this thing back together. Um, my old HK band um, that you know all the way back from like one of the original HK uh, things, whenever they were doing it in the garage, its whole mm-hmm. tail ripped off, and I I learned how to sew a tail back together onto it, and uh, my sandanas are all blown apart. So learned how to sew sew mesh. So yeah, PayPal's bought you know brought me another skill in that aspect. Um, as far as taking care of my gear, it taught me how to sew. More skills you can learn from this great game. Uh, but yeah, that, that snake strap of yours is is beautiful. It's just um it's well loved. It's well loved. I, I might get pictures of it and put up a poll. Um, non-binding, of course. Uh, whether or not you should keep wearing it or or retire it in, in some place place of reverence. Yeah, there it might be. I might have to do something if I do decide to retire. I don't think I would actually like put it up in a shadow box. I think I'd actually like rather um, figure out a way to maybe disperse pieces of it around somewhere. I'm not alluding to anything, but yeah, maybe disperse pieces of it. And uh, opposed to hogging it to myself, giving it away. Nice, nice. Um, I I know we have a standing arrangement, or I have a standing arrangement with a few people that when my my original Raven do rag finally gives up, it's getting a full Viking funeral. Because uh, that thing saw me through a lot of games, and now that I wear it, people are like, 
Baltimore? No, dang it, never mind. All right, so I think we have not quite beat the subject to death. I think we've covered all sorts of things. So let's go to the final thoughts. Uh, Ryan, you go first. Oh, man. Way to put me on the spot, man. Uh, Chris, thank you for allowing me to uh, uh, talk on your podcast. Um, hopefully everyone enjoys uh, this content. But uh, closing thoughts, um, what do you want to see change in paintball? Or what do you see would be the next step for paintball? Let's put you on the spot, sir. You know, I'm kind of the same place you are. I wanted to, to, to reach new audiences. Um, and I think a lot of that is either finding formats that speak to more people um, or maybe finding better price points. I don't know the gear is a lot cheaper than it used to be or less, less expensive running than it used to be. Uh, but finding better price points to get people in, maybe better gear packages uh to get people in um but i think we need to figure out both how to get to new audiences and keep the audiences we have engaged um and, and avoid doing the same thing over and over and over again have you checked out that um that new format they came up with uh, like speed qb or something or i I can't quite remember the off the top of my head, but it, they combine the um, a similar aspect of X ball with magfed paintball, but instead of inflatable obstacles, they actually set up interior and they use like um, more like foam based uh, obstacles. It still right. looks no, like, I know they were it, doing that with airsoft. Yeah, um, Quitsky um, over at H or uh, previously of HK, he's doing a lot of uh, stuff over in Japan. I think is. Mm-hmm. But it looks super fast paced. It's a constant attack and defense system. Like uh, you, you have five chances to attack your your enemy, um, and they can defend it. And if they hold you off, they get a point or something like that. But it seems, I mean, incredibly fast. Like the old three man of uh, the UPL uh, mm-hmm. that they had on TV many years back. It's like that kind of intensity almost uh, that you almost don't really see as much anymore it's pretty cool i'm not gonna lie if you're running around with like uh you know like a pistol magfed pistol with a remote line on your back and four mags you are going to be so fast in comparison to someone who's got six pods on their back and a six pound gun i mean you are you're bound to have some some pretty interesting uh dynamics happen on that field i feel yeah and i think that that 1v1 format with the team 1v1 format that that the hormesis guys are putting together has a lot of potential as well um just because it's easier to focus on with with fewer players right um because the don't get me wrong x-ball is objective based but you don't watch the objective right because if you watch the objective you miss most of the game um so maybe the the 1v1 format that, that Hormesis is doing, the Hormesis guys are doing, uh, is one of the next steps. And I know uh, Ryan Sexton of uh, Action Scenario Events has been working on and off on a scenario tournament format kind of based off of some of the first-person shooter games where you have to spend points or, or funny money or whatever you're going to call it to build your roster and build their equipment. 
uh, and we actually piloted that at a at an event a couple of years ago, and it went really, really well. Um, so yeah, just new formats, right? Because you can keep reinventing the wheel on this stuff without changing too much of the equipment. You just need to figure out a way to keep players engaged and how to hook new players at the same time. Man, put me on the spot on my own show. Someone had I to like do it. it. I dig I know. it. I dig it. All right. So so your your uh your final thought was to make the old man talk more. Pretty much, yeah. That was uh name of the game. <laughs> Last time I invite you. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> it's great having you on. Um so for, for my final thought. Take care of your body. Uh, don't use it like it's a rental, like a lot of us have done, uh, because uh, you don't get the extra protection plan uh, and you don't get another one. So take care of your body before and after. Uh, just like the zombie apocalypse, cardio, important. Uh, hydration, important. And taking care of your gear, uh, very important. But part of taking care of that gear and taking care of yourself is taking care of the people around you and helping them with their equipment and keeping them on the field and keeping the local culture going. Because as we say, there is no next. <laughs>